0: Good morning everyone, it's good to see all of you um, come and join us for worship this morning. I pray that, um, I pray everybody's doing well. We're going to be in the book of Ezra chapter 9 again this morning. Um, as um, you already know, we're going through a series through the book of uh, books of Ezra and Nehemiah. As I told you before, these books um, for many, many years were one book. One um, book. Somewhere along the way, they got divided into two books, but you should see them as a sequence of events as you read these things. And basically, it's God calling His people out of bondage and out of slavery, and He calls the remnant that He chose, that He saved, out of Babylon. And then He sends them back to the promised land to... um, to be with Him, to dwell with Him, to worship Him, to learn His ways, to follow His ways. And what we see in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah are three different waves of return of people. The first wave came back with a a priest named Zerubbabel, and his job was to rebuild the temple. And so ultimately, the first wave came back, they rebuilt the temple. We're in the second wave as we study in Ezra chapter... um, I think it's chapter 6 through the end, I believe it is, or 7 through the end maybe. But we are looking at Ezra, the priest, the scribe, leading a second wave of people back. And his job is to establish the law, to teach people the ways of God and what God demands of His people and how we are to live as people who dwell with God. And in the process of this, we have seen that sin has Has entered into the camp. And not just any sin, serious sin. The very sin that God had warned them and their forefathers that if you do this, it is going to turn you away from following me. And so Ezra comes in and he has to deal with this sin. And so I want you to be able to see this from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1 through 5. You're going to be able to see that whenever we go here, God had already told the forefathers that when I bring you into this promised land, if you do this, it is going to cause you to turn away from me. So, um, if y'all have got that up there, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1 through 5, he says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, and he clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, The Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Seven nations that are more numerous and they are mightier than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. And last week we talked about that, about how as God is coming into us and we are learning to dwell with God through the Lord Jesus Christ and we are becoming the temple of the Holy Spirit, that God is cleaning out the enemies that do not belong here. And we have a responsibility to make sure that we make no covenant with them, that we, make no, that we show them no mercy, that we completely devote them to destruction. And so he says, you shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. Then we go to verse 3. You shall not intermarry with them. In other words, you shall not yoke up in relationship with them. Why? Or let's explain what that looks like. Giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For, here's why. They would turn you away. And they would turn your sons away from what? Following Me. It's very important that you understand that you and I have a natural bent toward rebellion against God. Yes, God has opened our eyes to our sin. Yes, God has called us out of that slavery and rebellion of sin. But how many of you know that it's still a battle that we fight with it? Amen? And so we naturally have a bent toward the things of the world and toward the things that are not of God. And we have to understand that if we influence ourselves and yoke ourselves up with relationships that are going to pull us in that direction, we are naturally going to go go with the flow of the world if you're not careful. And so God gives them a very important lesson here before they get there, and He tells them, you have to make sure that you do not interconnect with the peoples of this land. He's not saying that you're not going to, ha- that you should be like the Amish and separate yourself completely. No. Like I told you last week, we need to be in the world, but not of the world. And again, to give you an example, just picture it like this You want your boat to be in the water, but not of the water. You see what I'm saying? Picture that in your head if you can. You want to be in the world but not of the world. In the same way, you want your boat to be in the water, but not of the water. And so we have to be careful that we don't yoke ourselves up in relationships with people that are going to drag us away from following God. And so he says here, then if you did this, then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and what would happen? So when we get to Ezra here and Ezra gets back to the land, remember, some 70 or 80 years have passed by. And Ezra gets back into the land here. The temple is built. The people are worshiping God. And he gets a report that they are committing the very sin that God told them, if you do this, this is what will happen. And Ezra remembers the history of their exile. And he remembers that This is the very reason they ended up where they are. Because they started, instead of going into the promised land and completely devoting the enemies to destruction, they spared them, they yoked up with them, they created marriages and relationships. And before long, they were slowly following their gods. Before long, they were slowly worshipping their gods. They were trying to play both sides of the fence. And God had all that He could take and he separated himself from them and sent them into exile. Now, he had told them that if you do this, the anger of the Lord was going to be so kindled that He would destroy you, right? But by the grace of God, by the mercy of God, and Ezra recognizes this in the prayer that Daniel just read to you, by the mercy and the grace of God, God doesn't destroy all of them. How many of you know that every single one of us in here this morning deserve to be destroyed. We deserved for God to have killed us in our sleep last night. That's what we deserve. But by His grace, He has chosen a remnant and He has set aside a people that He is calling out of sin and darkness and He is bringing into a place to learn His ways to dwell with Him And this is the group that we are dealing with right now. So here whenever we look at the story of Ezra, I'm picking up where I left off last week. And what I want to look at today is how God's Word shows us our sin. One of the things you're going to see in this is that the reason why Ezra was so broken hearted, the reason why he mourned for the sin the way that he did was because he knew the commands of God, and he knew how serious breaking this command and, this, and doing this sin was, and he knew that this is the very reason why we ended up where we are. And he knows that God didn't even have to save a remnant of us. And now here the remnant is going back into sin. And doesn't this describe our life so many times? And so, look at the prayer with me, if you would, again, in Ezra chapter 9, beginning in verse 5. At the evening sacrifice I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn, and I fell upon my knees and I spread out my hands to the Lord my God, saying, "Oh my God, I am ashamed and blushed to lift my face to You, my God. Why? For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt. I love the way that Ezra includes himself in this. Ezra does not look at the congregation of people and say, God, their guilt and they and they and him and her. No, Ezra looks at this thing and he says, God, we're sinners. We are, we are rebels. Our hearts, we, we, we can't get right on our own. And he says here, our sin and our iniquities and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. And then he looks back, he says, from the day of our fathers to this day. In other words, this is the very thing we watched our forefathers do. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun, right? He says our forefathers did this. And, notice what he says next, to this day we have been in great guilt. And for our iniquities, we, our kings, our priests, have been given into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, to plundering, and to utter shame. In other words, the reason why this remnant was in the mess they were in, in their captivity, is because of their own sin and their own guilt. And this is the same way that you and I can understand when we land ourselves in tough places because of sin, it ain't nobody's fault but our own. Amen? And Ezra is acknowledging this and he is, he is confessing this before God. But look at what he says in verse 8. I love this. But now, for a brief moment, favor has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant. You know why? Because... Ezra knew Deuteronomy. He knew that God had actually said, if you do this, this is going to get you completely destroyed. But by the mercy and the grace of God, God saved a remnant. And notice what he says next. And you gave us a secure hold within His holy place that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. Ezra acknowledges here that even though God has called them out of sin and darkness, to a certain extent, even though they are dwelling with God in the land, to a certain extent, they're still slaves. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so notice what he says next. He says in verse 9, For we are slaves, yet our God has not forsaken us in our slavery. (laughs) I read that and I I just want to shout. God has not forsaken us in our slavery, but He has extended to us His steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant us some reviving, to set up the house of our God, to repair its ruins, and to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. In other words, God has been so good to us in spite of the anger that He should have against us. And Ezra acknowledges both their sin, but also the mercy and the grace of God. And then I want you to notice what happens in verse 10, because this is where we see that God's Word shows Ezra what their sin is. And now, O our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servant the prophets. And notice what he says next. Saying, now Ezra quotes the Scriptures. It's important that you understand. We would not know how great our sin is against God. And we will not seek Him for mercy and grace and repentance. And we will not praise Him for what He has done in our lives until we first see the seriousness of our sin from His Word. Ezra looks back at His Word and God told them, this is what you'll deserve if you do this. And now Ezra looks and he says, but look what God did. He should have killed us all, but He didn't. He brought us back here. He built the temple. He's he's gave us a secure hold here. He's blessed us with the kings of Persia. God has been so good to us. But Ezra would not have known that. If it were not for being able to look back and the fear of God be put in his heart because he read it from the Word of God. And so he says here when he reads it, the land, here's what God said in verse 11. The land that you are entering to take possession of it is a land impure with the impurity of the peoples of the land, with their abominations that have filled it from end to end with their uncleanliness. Therefore, do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity. That, and here's why. That you may be strong. In other words, if you try to seek peace with the sin in your life, if you try to seek prosperity for being able to live in a land of sin and a place of sin, the opposite of this would happen. Instead of being strong, what will you be? Weak. So there's a warning and a promise here. So don't seek the peace and the prosperity of the land and the sin that I'm bringing you, in, that I'm bringing you into. Destroy it. Destroy it that you may be strong and that you may eat the good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever." And so there again, what do we see? God's Word is actually what showed Ezra his sin. God's Word and hearing God's Word is what led Ezra to rip his clothes, to pull out his beard, to pull out his hair, to weep and fast and mourn all day before the Lord God, to pray on behalf of His people, to seek the Lord for mercy and grace. You will not do that. Until you first see your own sin from the Word of God. And this is the very thing that leads the people to, to, to confess and repent in chapter 10, which we'll look at next week. But I want to show you some more scriptures that prove this. Look with me at Romans chapter 5, verse 20. In Romans chapter 5, verse 20, the Bible tells us that the law came in to do what? To increase the trespass. In other words, before you see what God's command is and how you've broken it, sin kind of lies dormant and it's not really a big deal for you. But the moment that you, like Ezra, are able to look in the Word of God and God says to you, do not do this, and you look at your life and go, too late. I've already done it and then you look at what the payment for that is and what the punishment for it is, that's where the sin increases in your life like it should. And But here's the good news. But whenever that happens, when sin increases in your life, and I'm not talking about that you become a greater sinner, I'm talking about sin comes to the surface and you see it for what it is. When that happens, the good news is this. But where sin increased, what happened? Grace abounded all the more. And that's what's going to happen with Ezra here as he deals with this sin. He sees it. He mourns. He sees the reality of it. But God does not leave you there. The good news is where the trespass increases, grace increases so much more. Grace super abounds is how this word should be translated. All the more than any greatness of your sin can abound. And so the Word of God is needed in our life. We need to be able to hear it. We need to be able to meditate on it. We need to be able to see where we have fallen short. If all you ever do is come into church and hear a preacher that makes you so encouraged and makes you want to leave here uh, to fight hell with a water pistol and you are... Um, You are just so excited about where you are in life. You've probably missed the point of the Word of God. The point is so that you're able to see the failures in your life. The places where sin abounds and where sin increases so that by the grace of God, you can see that He should have destroyed you for your sin. But instead... You've received mercy. You have received grace. Look with me at a few other scriptures to back it up. Romans chapter 7, verse 7 through 8. What shall we say then? That the law is sin? In other words, Paul's saying, listen, if the, if the law is just going to make me feel bad, and if the law is just going to cause sin to rise up in me, and the law is just going to make my rebel heart want to go, well, that just makes me want to do it even more. Because that's what happens, right? Any of you raised children in here before? When you tell your children, don't you put your finger there, what do they do? And if you hadn't ever said that, they probably wouldn't done it. But the moment that you looked at your kid and said, Uh-uh, don't do that, they look back at you and go, <laughs> Why? Because that's the kind of heart that you and I have. We are born with that heart. And what we have to understand is that When we see that, it makes us think for a second that maybe the law is bad for us. And Paul says, by no means, the law is not bad. If it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. And then go to verse 8. But sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. You see that? God said, don't do this. And then the sin that is in your heart from birth said, <laughs> watch me. And then here you go. And He says, it produced in me. But, so for apart from the law, sin lies dead. It's there. It's there. But it kind of lies dormant until the law comes in and the law stirs it up and then you're able to look at it and go, oh my goodness, look at who I am. Look at what I do. Now go with, me, or go with me to another verse. Go to Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. So then, the law was our guardian. In other words, the law was like because we are sinners and because we are naturally prone to increase in evil because we are naturally prone to rebellion against authority and especially God's authority, God puts a law in place as a guardian to keep us in fenced in, if you will. And He says here, in order that we might be justified by faith. The law serves many purposes in our lives, but the point that I'm trying to make this morning is that the law of God, the Word of God, is what shows you your sin in your life so that you are able to look at yourself and go, God, you should have killed me. I deserve to be dead. But look at what you've done for me. Look at how good you are. And it causes grace to abound in your life. And it causes you to love Him and go after Him and want to have understand more of who He is. But it is only through the Word of God that you actually get to experience this. And so, I want to be able to, uh, to think of it like this. When you yoke up with unbelievers in your life, whenever you have partnerships and relationships with people, and I'm not talking about, again, just completely separating yourself from all people. I'm talking about connections that... Um, if your best friend is an unbeliever, there's probably an issue. There's probably a problem. If, if you marry as a believer and unbeliever, there's probably a problem. And so what we have to be able to understand is that the natural flow of unbelievers is not toward God and the things of God. Do you understand that? We have, again, a natural bend toward the things of the world, toward rebellion against the things of God. And if you don't have in your life other people that are trying to walk the same path toward God that you are, then it is very likely that it is going to pull you back into the current and the flow of the world and it is going to turn you away from following the Lord their God. Ezra sees this sin in her life. He learned it from the Word of God. He sees the seriousness of it. He knows that this is the reason why we are where we are. And now he's pleading with God and he's thanking God for His mercy and His grace, but he's asking God to help us figure out how do we get this thing turned back around. And so here's the second point that I want to make to you this morning. God's Word is living and active and sharp enough to cut out the deepest sins in our life. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Look at what he says here in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. And I just read it to you basically, but he says, The Word of God is living and active. You know what that means? It's the opposite of dead and unable to do anything, right? God's Word is not dead and unable to do anything. God's Word is living and it's active. Look at what it did for Ezra and the people of God back here. It brought them out of some of the darkest sin that they could do because it's going to turn them away from following God. It shows them this sin that they didn't even pay no attention to and it cuts down to that sin and it actually comes down... And it is able to tear out what don't belong in their life. And so God's Word is living. It is active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Now here's what you need to understand about what we're dealing with in the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, the writer is dealing with a people that are... Letting the deceitfulness of sin, and again, a very serious sin, not just any sin, a sin that is turning them away from following the Lord God, a sin that is turning them back to trying to pursue God outside of Christ. And the writer knows that they are being deceived by this sin in their life. Let me show you some scripture in there to back up what I'm saying. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So you see the the, the great danger here? We're not just talking about any sin, right? We're talking about the sin of unbelief that leads you away from following the Lord your God. So what's the answer? How do we take care? Well... Exhort one another every day. That word exhort means that we need people in our life that are looking at us saying, Brother or sister, keep fighting the good fight. Don't you quit. Keep holding the line. Keep going after God. Keep staying in the faith. Make sure you finish the race. And he said, do that as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by what? The deceitfulness of sin. Sin is so deceitful. Sin will convince you that you are okay. Sin will convince you that God doesn't have a problem with this. That you don't have to turn away from this. That you don't have to worry about this or you're fine right where you are. Sin is so deceitful and the people of Hebrews are in danger of this happening in their life. They need exhortation. They need to do what Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1 says. Look what he says, because here's how we keep the deceitfulness of sin from coming into our life. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, he tells us that we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we should drift away. In other words, what is one of the ways that we're going to make sure that the deceitfulness of sin doesn't grab us because that's the danger? We're going to have to make sure that we pay much closer attention to what we have heard talking about the Word of God, lest we drift away from it. The closer attention you pay to the Word of God and to the things that it shows you are wrong, the things that it shows you you shouldn't follow, the closer attention you pay to it, the more likely you are to not drift away from the Word of God and from God in particular. Another thing, I want you to be able to understand that We need to be able to restore each other in a spirit of gentleness. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 again. I'm going to make the media earn their money this morning. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Exhort one another every day. We need people in our life that are exhorting us every day as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. But now look with me at Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 through 2. Because this is what Paul tells us there. He says, Brethren, if any of you be overtaken in a trespass, and again, none of us are exempt, but if any one of you is caught in any type of transgression, you who are a spiritual should do what? Restore him in what? A spirit of gentleness keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So again, here's the point. Ezra understands, and he should understand, that none of us are exempt from falling into sins that could potentially lead us away from the Lord. Right? I've been a Christian for a long time. Been preaching for a long time. Do you really believe I'm exempt? No, I'm not exempt. And so we need people in our life that are helping us to pay attention to the Word of God, that are helping us to exhort one another, that are re- helping to restore us in spirit of gentleness. And then notice next in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15, we need to hear His Word. How often? In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15, He says we need to hear it every single day. Every day we need the Word of God in our life. If all you ever do is come to church on Sunday and listen to me preach, you may learn some things, you may get some encouragement, you may actually walk out of here stronger than you were than you came in. But if that's all you get, you're missing it. Notice how he finished here. He said, as it is said, today if you hear His voice, do not what? Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion because that's what would happen to the people of old. They knew the Word of God. They heard the Word of God. They'd been taught the Word of God. But instead of hearing His voice day after day after day and hearing His Word day after day after day, they got to a point to where they just started following their own desires and their own hearts and they hardened their hearts toward the things of God as rebels do. And this is the same thing that happens to you and I. If we are not paying attention to the Word of God, then we're not pursuing God in our life. And let me tell you something. Listen to me. If you're not seeking the Lord and His Word, if you're not, if you're not genuinely trying to, to pursue Him in your life, if all you're doing is thinking, well, I'm just a believer and I'm okay, you're not okay. Can I love you enough to tell you this morning, you're not Okay. You have to be able to see the fruit of God calling you out of the darkness of sin and rebellion into the light of His Son, Jesus Christ. And if you don't see that active pursuit in your life and the way you find that is by seeking Him in His Word, by learning from Him, by growing in Him, and if you don't see that, I'm telling you, you're not okay. And I don't say that to try to demean you this morning. I say that to try to plead with you. That if you don't hear the Word of God in a way that helps you pursue Him day after day, you're missing something. You are missing something. And so we need to pay attention to His Word. We need to exhort one another. We need to restore one another. We need to hear His Word every day. And then look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Let me show you what the rebels did here. He said that we have heard the same word. I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong scripture, Riley. That's on me, buddy. Um, Look with me at... Let me find it because this is important. Give me uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, Riley. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. Look what he says here. For good news, the Word of God, came to us just like it did to them. So in other words, the people in the wilderness heard the Word of God too, right? The called out people of God, the group that came out of Egypt, they heard the Word of God. They heard the good news. I'm going to bring you into a promised land. And they're following God, they're all excited about it. But the message they heard did not benefit them. So it's not just about hearing the Word. If all you ever do is come into the church and just hear the Word, and you leave here and you do nothing with it, I'm sorry to tell you this, it's not going to benefit you any more than it did those people that died in the wilderness. Look what it says, why it didn't benefit them. Because they were not united by what? By faith. In other words, they did not take like the ones who listened and obeyed, like the ones who listened and believed, they mixed the Word with faith. They believed it. They believed that what God is promising me is far better than what I'm leaving behind. But the ones that didn't mix it with faith got into the wilderness, got into a place of testing and hunger and and struggle in their journey to the promise of God. And they looked back and said, Moses, why'd you bring us out here to just kill us? We'd have been better off left back here in Egypt. You know what that problem is? They heard the Word of God, but it didn't benefit them. Why? Because they didn't believe it. They believed that this is better for them than what God is promising them. And I told you last week, that's the deception of sin. Sin promises you that this over here is going to make you happier if you do this than what God is promising He's going to do for you if you follow Him. And the problem, every time you fall into temptation as a child of God, every time, it's because you believed, The deceitfulness of sin. You understand that? I don't care what kind of struggle you deal with, I don't care what kind of lust, temptation. Every time you fall to temptation, it's because sin told you you will be happier and you will be better off if you do this. God tells you you're not going to be happier, you're going to be weaker, you're going to be um, in a place of destruction. And instead of believing God's promise, you believe sin's promise and sin deceives you. We have to hear the Word of God, understand God warns us in it, He makes us a promise in it, and we have to mix that with faith. And we have to either believe that what God says is true, and I'm going to follow that, or we believe that what sin tells us is true, And we follow that. And that was the difference in the people in the wilderness. The ones that got to enter in were the ones that heard the Word and they mixed it with faith. The ones that died on the journey to the promised land and never got to enter in, they're the ones that they heard the Word too, but they didn't believe. Let me prove it to you. Look with me at um, Hebrews chapter 4. Verse... Hang on. Give me just a minute. Verse 19. Hebrews 4 verse 19. (laughs) Same thing last week, wasn't it? Uh, verse six. Is it six? I think so. Four, verse six. Hold on. I shouldn't have flipped the page. No, it's not verse six. Hold on. Give me a minute. Three nineteen. Yes. Thank you. Three nineteen. I apologize, Riley. You're doing a good job, brother. Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> Look at what the writer of Hebrew says here. So we see that they were unable to enter because of why? That's it. Either, and this is the reason why we say you're saved by faith alone. But faith is always going to be demonstrated by what you follow and what you do. That's the reason why James said, if you say you have faith, but you don't have works then show me your faith. And you know what? You can't. But James says, I will show you my faith by my works, by what I do. So it's important that you understand that faith without works is what? And can dead faith save you? No. We have to have the Word of God mixed with faith that leads us to following the Lord and His promise. Noah said he believed God was going to flood the earth and Noah said he believed God was going to save him. And you want to know how I know Noah believed? Thank you. Noah built an ark. Was Noah saved because he built an ark? No. Noah was saved because he believed God. Noah built the ark because he heard the Word and he believed the Word. And his life Followed that. That, my friends, is saving faith. And you need to mix the word with faith. It's not just enough to hear it every day. Next, you've got to let the word pierce to the deepest places of sin in our lives and cut it out. Now, Riley, I think this is right. Go with me again to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God, is living and active. Here's what the writer of Hebrews is doing through the whole book. He wants them to understand that the problem that happened to the people of old that didn't get to see the promise of God, every story, whether you're talking about the ones in the wilderness, whether you're talking about these with Ezra, no matter what story you're looking at, every Old Testament story is about God calling a group of people out of sin and slavery, right? Right? And then He takes them on a journey as He teaches them His ways and He he brings them into a place to where He dwells with them and they worship Him and He works with them on, on eliminating sin in their lives and we're writing that story in our life right now. But He wants you to know that the failure of every person that does not make it is not that they lost their salvation. It's that... They never truly had faith. Faith that endures to the end. And he says here, how do we keep that from happening? You need to pay close attention to the Word of God because you need to keep hearing the Word. You need to keep hearing the warnings. You need to keep hearing the promises of God. And the more you hear the warnings, the more it ought to stir up fear in your heart if you're not living where you should be. And then in order to drive you to a place to see His mercy and His grace, and in order to drive you a place to run to Him and run away from the sin in your life. And you need to pay attention to the Word, and you need to hear it every day, and you need to be exhorted by other brothers and sisters, and you need to make sure that you know that the Word of God is not dead. It's not just a book. It's not just paper and leather wrapped around it. This is God speaking. The Bible says the Word of God is the very thing that the universe was created by. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to come back to this. But look with me at Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by what? The Word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. In other words, when God created something, you know what happened? God said, let there be what? And what happened? The Word of God is living and powerful. And what you have in your hands today, right now, is God's Word spoken to you and I. And when you read it, And when you believe it, you better understand something. It's not dead and unable to accomplish its purpose. It is living and it is active. It has all the power to accomplish its purpose. And why did God give it to you? He gave you the law so that the trespass would increase. He gave you the law to be a guardian so that it would lead you to faith in Christ. He gave you the law so that you could show show you how to go to battle with your sin. Every bit of that is God speaking to you. And we know that the Word of God is not dead because the Word of God is the very thing that created the universe that you're living in. Have you ever thought for just one second about the amazement that you're sitting on a giant blue ball right now spinning at over a thousand miles an hour? And you know what it's attached to? We wake up every day and go, yeah, it's just a normal day. (laughs) Flying a thousand miles an hour, round and round on a giant blue ball. And this this is just normal. Do you not understand, there ain't nothing normal about where we are or who we are or how we are. There ain't nothing normal about this life. And every bit of it was created by the spoken Word of God. And you know why it's still in motion and why it still goes today? Look with me at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And talk about Jesus here. And He upholds what? The universe by what? The reason why the universe is still going the way it is today is because it was created by the Word of God and it is sustained by the Word of God. You better believe the Word of God is not dead and unable to perform. The Word of God is living and active. The Word of God is what gives us new life. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Since you have been born again, or you've been given new life, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through what? The living and abiding Word of God. God spoke to you and God said, You are a sinner, here is how you're a sinner. Sinner, here's the payment for your sin. Here's what you owe, but here's what I did for you. And when God opened your eyes to that, God gave you a new life when you went to follow Jesus by faith. But it came through the Word of God. Look with me in another scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Again, we're going back to creation, to the Word of God, right? So picture this. God says, let there be light. And what happened? Look what happened. That same God has shown light in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, through the Word of God, the same way that He said, Let there be light in the beginning, the reason why you are born again is because God spoke to you and said, Let there be light. And when He showed you His Word, light came into your life. Amen. And you were born again. You were given a new life. And so back to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. I want you to remember this. The Word of God is living and it is active. I don't want you to think when we stand up here, it's so important to me whether we have an announcement or not, I really don't care. But what I do care about is that we read the Word of God. Because I truly believe that just the reading of the Word of God is so powerful and so important. And the Bible tells us, Paul told Timothy, he said, Timothy, until I come, make sure you give attention to the public reading of Scripture. That's somewhere in 1st or 2nd Timothy. You can find it. But it was very important in the church for the early church elders and the apostles that one thing you do in the church, you read the Word of God. And then we teach it, we expound on it, we do all that we're doing right here. But you better believe something. The Word of God has a purpose in your life. And that purpose is to show you the deepest, darkest sins and rebellion in your life. And notice what he says. It's not dead. It is not unable to perform. It is living. It is active. And it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is able to pierce to the division of the soul and the spirit. In other words, it cuts so fine... It can split frog hair. Y'all country folk know what I'm talking about. (laughs) And there is nothing in your life that that word right there is not able to point out. If you will hear it, if you will pay attention to it, if you will be exhorted by others in it, If if people come to you through gentleness and through approach and through actually having a heart for this, the Word of God is living, it's active, it is sharper than any two-edged sword, it pierces to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and marrow, it even gets down so deep that it can discern the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. In other words, sin cannot deceive you if you will listen to the Word of God. Amen. If you will hear it, if you will apply it to your life, if you will seek Him in it day after day after day, this is a powerful thing that you have that norm- most of you will leave in your car after you. <laughs> Come on, somebody should have said, Amen. Most of you will leave in the back seat of your car until the next time you come into a church building. And it's the very thing that God has given you to mold you and make you into His image to teach you His ways and to cut out the things that don't belong in your life. And one of the things that you're going to learn next week, you're going to learn, it's the very thing that led Ezra to His mourning, to His praying for others. It's the very thing that leads the people to repentance. It's not anything else. It's the Word of God. And it's them knowing the Word of God, hearing the Word of God. You know, in closing, sin is so deceptive. Anybody in here ever been deceived by it? So many times. Sin is so deceptive. I remember the story of Cain and Abel. God told Cain when he came to him, he was mad because it was before he killed his brother. But God had not accepted his sacrifice because Cain gave it according to his own good works. He didn't give God what God asked for by faith. He gave God what he wanted to give God, what he thought God would be pleased with. And whenever God doesn't accept his sacrifice, he gets very angry about it. And God comes to him and says, angry? Uh, uh, Cain, why are you so mad? If you do well, will you not be accepted? He said, if you do good, will your face not be lifted up? But the very fact that your face is down ought to be evidence to you that you've not done good. And then he says to him, he said, Cain, and you go back and read it. He said, sin is crouching at the door. Thank you for pulling that up. If you do, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching. Picture this. It's like a a tiger or a lion. It is crouching. And he says here, it's crouching at the door and its desire, a better translation is, its desire is towards you. Sin wants you. And it is sitting here and it is waiting, crouching down like a tiger just waiting to pounce on you. But the good news is you should and you must rule over it. How is that going to happen? The living and active Word of God. And if you will allow God to speak to you if you will mix it with faith, if you will believe His warning, if you will believe His promises, you will follow Him by faith just like the people of old did. And that's how you're going to see salvation active in your life. And then i got some better news for you. The writer of Hebrews he doesn't end this in, in Hebrews chapter four verse twelve he doesn't end this with just saying you know what y'all are to overcome sin by the word of God he understands that many times sin gets us don't it yeah. many times it gets us and look where he goes to in Hebrews chapter four verse I think it's verse fourteen yeah Hebrews chapter four verse fourteen since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus the Son of God let us do what. Hold fast. Hold fast our confession. In other words, sometimes, sometimes sin crouching, and sometimes it gets us. And he says here, don't lose your hope. Don't lose your confession. And then look what he says next in verse fifteen. For we, here's why you should not lose your confession. Here's why you should not lose hope. Because we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with what? (laughs) This is so beautiful. This is the reason why Jesus had to come and experience life. You know, Jesus could have came and just lived perfect for a day, fulfilled God's perfect law for us, and then died on the cross, paid for our sin, that'd been it. But That's not what happened. Jesus came and lived life from a baby all the way to 33 years old, and He experienced every aspect of life. And it says here that we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He understands. He understands your weaknesses because He felt temptation even though He didn't sin. He was God in the flesh. But He's able to understand. And notice what He says next in verse 16. Because of that. Because of that, here's what the command of the writer says to him. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive what? Mercy and find grace to help win. I love that the writer of Hebrews acknowledges that. I love that he acknowledges that yes, we are to rule over sin. Yes, we are to be actively fighting sin. Yes, we are to be pursuing the Word of God knowing it's living and active and it can pierce and it can cut out everything. But the fact of the matter is the Spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak. And I thank God that even in the times of weakness, just like we're seeing in Ezra right here, that we can come back knowing that we don't have a great high priest who can't sympathize with weaknesses. No, but we have one that in every respect was tempted just like you and I are, yet without sin. And because of that, because He sits at the right hand of the Father and understands your weaknesses, when you find yourself in sin, what are you tempted to do? Run to Him? When you find yourself in sin, you're tempted to run away. He says, don't do that. Let us draw near. Draw near to the throne of what? Grace. Why? To receive mercy and find grace. There is grace to be found. There is mercy to be found in the deepest and darkest sins of your life. And He understands your weaknesses. And He says here, let us draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. This morning it's my prayer that you understand you're on your journey. And sin is crouching. And sin's desire is for you. And for some of us, it'll get you. We ought to rule over it. And if you are going to rule over it, you're only going to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Why do I say that? Because what did Jesus say? The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and He pierces down to the deepest, darkest places and it is living and it is active and it can cut out every sinful cancer in you that does not belong. But you've got to pay attention to it. You've got to trust it. You've got to mix it with faith. You've got to have a desire to pursue Him And to come out of your darkness into His marvelous light following your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And when you mess up, and when you find yourself in it, don't run away. Hold fast your confession of faith. You have a great high priest who sympathizes with your weaknesses. And he has mercy and grace. And you know what the Bible tells me about how much of it he has? The Bible says that God is rich in mercy. What does it mean to be rich in something? Bible says He's rich in grace. He's got a lot of it. He's got a lot of it. And so I pray this morning that if you're fighting sin, you'll rule over it through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. If you're in sin, I pray you'll run to Him. And I pray that you will receive His mercy and grace from a sympathetic Savior that we have.